Matthew Henry comments on this passage. We have here some intermission of David's troubles by Saul. Providence favored him with a breathing time. And yet this chapter gives us instances of the troubles of David. If one vexation seems to be over, we must not be secure. A storm may arise from another point. Hear now the word of Almighty God. We'll read the first 22 verses. 1 Samuel 25, verses 1 through 22. And Samuel died, and all the Israelites were gathered together and lamented him and buried him in his house at Ramah. And David arose and went down to the wilderness of Paran. And there was a man in Maon whose possessions were in Carmel, and the man was very great. And he had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats, and he was shearing his sheep in Carmel. Now the name of the man was Nabal, and the name of his wife, Abigail. And she was a woman of good understanding and of a beautiful countenance. But the man was churlish and evil in his doings, and he was of the house of Caleb. And David heard in the wilderness that Nabal did shear his sheep. And David sent out ten young men, and David said unto the young men, Get you up to Carmel, and go to Nabal, and greet him in my name. And thus shall ye say to him that liveth in prosperity, Peace be both to thee, and peace be to thine house, and peace be unto all that thou hast. And now I have heard that thou hast shearers. Now thy shepherds which were with us, we hurt them not, neither was there aught missing unto them, all the while they were in Carmel. Ask the young men, and they will show thee. Wherefore, let the young men find favor in thine eyes, for we come in a good day. Give, I pray thee, whatsoever cometh to thine hand unto thy servants and to thy son David. And when David's young men came, they spake to Nabal according to all those words in the name of David and ceased. And Nabal answered David's servants and said, Who is David? And who is the son of Jesse? There be many servants nowadays that break away every man from his master. Shall I then take my bread and my water and my flesh that I have killed for my shearers and give it unto men whom I know not whence they be? So David's young men turned their way and went again and came and told him all those sayings. And David said unto his men, Gird ye on every man his sword. And they girded on every man his sword. And David also girded on his sword. And there went up after David about four hundred men, and two hundred abode by the stuff. But one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, saying, Behold, David sent messengers out of the wilderness to salute our master, and he railed on them. But the men were very good unto us, and we were not hurt, neither missed we anything, as long as we were conversant with them when we were in the fields. They were a wall unto us both by night and day, 
all the while, all the while, while we were with them, keeping the sheep. Now therefore know and consider what thou wilt do, for evil is determined against our master and against all his household. For he is such a son of Belial that a man cannot speak to him. Then Abigail made haste and took 200 loaves and two bottles of wine and five sheep ready dressed and five measures of parched corn and an hundred clusters of raisins and 200 cakes of figs and laid them on asses. And she said unto her servants, go on before me. Behold, I come after you. But she told not her husband Nabal. And it was so as she rode on the ass that she came down by the covert of the hill and behold, David and his men came down against her and she met them. Now David had said, surely in vain have I kept all that this fellow hath in the wilderness so that nothing was missed of all that pertained unto him and he hath requited me evil for good. So and more also do God unto the enemies of David, if I leave of all that pertain to him by the morning light any that pisseth against the wall. Thus far the reading of God's holy word, 1 Samuel 25, verses 1 through 22. Here again, as Matthew Henry commented, the troubles of David renewed, not now from Saul, but from Nabal. Verses 1 through 9, we have Samuel's death, Nabal's character, and David's humble request to whom he calls his father, Nabal. Verse 1 informs us Samuel died. The Israelites mourned and buried him in his house in Ramah. It is possible that David going to Paran takes this occasion while Saul is sidetracked, you might say, with national mourning to move to another place, the wilderness of Paran. There was a man in Maon, and if you'll notice there on your maps, Maon being in the central part of the map, there is Carmel above it, which we'll also look at, and Ziph, where the Ziphites were, further north than that. There's the wilderness of Ziph, south of that is Ziph, then Carmel further south, and then Maon south of that. This man is of Maon, but all of his possessions were in Carmel. About seven or eight miles south of Ziph is Maon. David was in the wilderness of Ziph in chapter 23, Carmel being about halfway between Ziph and Maon. This man was very great, very rich, very wealthy, very prosperous, and very wicked, we find. The man was named Nabal, verse 3 informs us. Now the word Nabal means a man who lacks all wisdom, moral wisdom, mental wisdom. He's a fool in every way, a moral fool, a mental fool. Now, whether his parents named him this or whether this was his nickname based off of his foolish conduct, we do not know, but that was his name and it suited him very well. His wife, on the other hand, a contrast in characters in this case, sometimes there are godly men who have wicked wives. Sometimes there are wicked men who have godly wives. Thus is the case here. She was a woman of good understanding and of a beautiful countenance, verse 3 tells us. And the scriptures properly prioritize her understanding first 
before her beauty. And the sequel will show us she is not merely wise in the natural things, but has a prudence and wisdom in spiritual things as well. She has a faith in God's promises, an understanding of God's word, an ability to assess the character and circumstances of herself, her husband, and her household. She is a woman of good understanding. She is a humble woman who respects her husband and seeks to preserve his life, though this could have been her golden ticket out of a marriage to a wicked and churlish man. He gets killed, she runs away, and they're good. She goes forth to save his skin. Ladies, what shall you be known as? What sort of women shall you become, girls? What sort of women shall you be, ladies? Will you be a woman of good understanding, who understands what God requires of you, who understands the nature and character of the circumstances and people in your lives? A woman of humility, who drinks deeply of the words of God, or will you be shallow, vain, and light in your conduct, a woman with a beautiful countenance and an empty head, as we might say, will you be an Abigail or will you be a Jezebel? Now this man is described as churlish. He was a churlish man. The word in Hebrew means to be difficult, fierce, hard, cruel, obstinate, stiff-necked. This is the idea. This is not real manliness. This is a, uh, you might say, a caricature of manliness. It's one part of manliness pushed to an extreme. Is there a time for a man to be hard or rigorous? Well, yes, there is, in fact. There are times to kill, and there are times to give life. And if you're going to kill, you don't do so in a soft way, do you? No, you have to be hard and decisive. There are times for this. But this was the general character of the man. He was churlish. He was unreasonable. He was rigorous. He was stiff-necked. He was cruel. He was severe. He was difficult to deal with. He was fierce. Yes, there are times to be fearful, as in war, but there are times in peace to be beloved. Now notice, this man who is churlish was of the house of Caleb. He was a Calebite. Now, was Caleb fierce in battle? Yes, he was. He destroyed all the remnant of the Anakims, and he took Hebron. He was fierce, Joshua 15, 14. But also we see in Judges chapter 1, when his daughter Aksah comes to him, to ask of him a nether spring, what does he do? Is he fierce? Is he harsh? Is he unreasonable? Is he stiff-necked? Is he rigorous? No, he grants her her request. What wilt thou have, he says, and he grants her what she requests. This is to aggravate his pettiness that he descended, Nabal, was of such a different spirit from Caleb, his progenitor. God calls us to honor our parents, grandparents, ancestors, and especially if we have godly ancestors, as Nabal did. Caleb being a godly man, he should have reflected the character of Caleb, but he did not. 
And if we have no or few godly ancestors, then let us leave such a legacy as Caleb left that we might have children who can say, I will follow in the footsteps of my ancestors. Be a guiding light to those who desire holiness. Verses 4 and 5, David hears of the shearing of Nabal's sheep. And having done good service to Nabal's flock and his herdmen and his servants, David sends to ask after the peace of Nabal. David instructs his servants in verses 6 through 8 how they should wish peace to Nabal and his house and all that was his, how to inform Nabal of the service they had done, and then respectfully request, though there was no contract or agreed upon price, to request some form of remuneration, whatever came to his hands, whatever he would willingly give out in this good day of prosperity. They were feasting. And generally when men feast and they are glad and they have wine in their hearts and food in their bellies, they're often disposed to be more generous, are they not? But notice, not so with Nabal. He is not disposed to be generous. David requests in verse 8, Give, I pray thee, whatsoever cometh to thine hand, whatever you will, whatever you're disposed to give. If you have anything extra in all the shearing that you're doing and the slaughtering of your sheep. He refers, David does, to himself as thy son David. And those that serve me are your servants as well. David is humble. You are my superior, he says to this wealthy man. You are a man of wealth and power. We are your mere servants and your sons. David's servants then faithfully execute their charge. They come to Nabal and they spake to him according to all the words in the name of David. This is what is required of a steward. Take what your master gives you and faithfully execute it. If he gives you words, say words. If he gives you deeds, do the deeds. David being a mere man, we live under the authority of a greater than David, even our Lord Jesus Christ. Will we be faithful to his commands, to his words, to his requirements of us? Nabal then responds, verses 10 through 22, with a churlish answer. David's anger is aroused, and Abigail prudently seeks a remedy. Notice there in verse 10, who is David? Now, he knows who David is. This is not intended to ask a, some kind of theoretical question. Who, let's define who he is. No, he knows who he is. You see that. Who is the son of Jesse? He even knows who his dad is. He knows his descent. And the name, as we've seen before, the son of Jesse, is often used as a term of contempt for David by Saul himself. So here Nabal, like Saul, demeans David, the mere son of that poor man called wealthy, Jesse. And then notice his false accusation against David. There be many servants nowadays that break away every man from his master, not content to merely reproach David, he now wants to slander him. Did David break away from Saul? Well, if somebody being chased down like a dog to murder them means breaking away. Well, sure, I guess you could say he broke away from his master. Did David actually voluntarily leave the service of his master? No. He fled for his life, and lawfully so. He adds slander to reproach. 
The Geneva Bible notes say, Thus the covetous wretches, instead of relieving the needs of God's children, reviled their persons and condemned their causes. It's merely an excuse. He doesn't want to give anything. He doesn't want to help. He's a churl. He's unreasonable. He's rigorous. He's self-seeking. And so he won't give anything to them for all the work. And notice he says, shall I take my bread, my water, my flesh that I have killed for my shearers? You notice who is the center of Nabal's universe? Who is it that matters the most to Nabal? What is the one thing that he's concerned about? Me, myself, and I. That's what you find. My bread, my water, my flesh, I killed my shearers. Now, it's to his credit that he actually pays his laborers. What can be said of men who will not pay those that labor for them? At least Nabal says he'll pay his shearers. But this is not to his credit. He is a covetous man. He will not help David in his time of need. No, not if David kept all of his sheep safe and his herdmen. His duty to his shearers was no pretext to cover for his covetousness. These things were told to David, again, as young men being faithful. David said unto his men, verse 13 informs us, as soon as he hears the, no the, the news from the young men, what does he say? Let's go talk this out. Let's go find out what's going on here. Why won't this man pay us? Let's reason with him. No, gird on every man his sword, he says. Maximum aggression. He's going to kill everyone in the household for the sin of one man. And the sin of one man is a false accusation against himself and a refusal to give a churlish behavior. Does the crime of Nabal warrant the punishment that David is about to mete out against him? It does not. God is the avenger of those who do wrong to us. We are called upon not to avenge ourselves. And David will be reminded of this in verse 31. When you go to your kingdom, Abigail will tell him, do you want to have a stain on your conscience that you shed blood without cause and that you avenged yourself? Do you want that to be on your record, David? And he will realize the wisdom in those words. But here he has no such wisdom in his mind. Here he's ready to slaughter all that piss against the wall. Every male in the house must die. I note then that ingratitude or a sense of entitlement can easily slip into a sense of victimhood. As the uh, lefties say, words are violence. So they can use violence because you use hurty words. You say hurty things about them. You don't use their favored pronouns and their lunacy. And they have the right to burn your buildings down. Words are violence. So I can use violence to match violence. Did Nabal do things and say things that were wicked and evil? Yes. Was David wronged in his good reputation by this slanderous report against him? Yes. Were his men wronged in that Nabal would not share of his great abundance with those who had served him so well? Yes. Are these all wrong? Yes. Does David have the right then or the entitlement to receive pay from Nabal? 
and refusing to be paid and being slandered on top of it, does he have the right to kill all of his males? No. But if he sees himself in the light of a victim, that I have been wronged, what happens to victims? Do they have to repent of their sins? Do they have to take responsibility? No. That's the whole point of the victim narrative is that I'm not responsible because I've been wronged. And so David feels about himself. Our expectations guide and govern our responses. What did he expect? When we serve others, what are we to expect in return? What does Christ say? Give, expecting nothing in return. That's what he says. Why? Because God will reward you. If we believe that God will reward us, we don't need men to recognize us. And yet David, forgetting this important truth in a sense of entitlement, slips into the sense of victimhood. Had David been wronged and used? Yes. Did he have the right to jump to full-on mayhem and slaughter? No. Let us check our sense of entitlement or victimhood. This is the big cultural lie in our day. You have been wronged. You are entitled. You deserve this. You deserve that. And if you can't get it, everybody's wronging you. What do we truly deserve in life? Let's think this through. What is it that God owes us in his providence? Hell. That's what we all deserve. The wages of sin is death. He that continues not in all things that are written in the book of the law should be burned with fire forever and the smoke of their torment should rise up. That's what I deserve. That's what you deserve. That's what we all deserve. What have we received? Has God cast us into the pit of darkness and flame and outer punishment and torment? Has God shown us that in this point in our lives? No. Therefore, we should give thanks. We should be grateful to God for all of his mercies. David sent messengers out of the wilderness to salute our master. This is now the servant of Nabal telling his wife Abigail what happened. Verse 14. The men were very good unto us, and we were not hurt, neither missed we anything as long as we were conversant with them. Was David right? Yes, he was. No one got hurt. No animals were stolen. No marauders came by. We were a wall by day and by night. We protected all your things. David was correct. But was Nabal persuaded by these truths, by these facts, by the realities of what had actually occurred? Abigail was. She's persuaded. Oh, that's, we should have paid them. We should have done good to them. And what did we do? Evil. Nabal did evil to them. Let us learn to be easily persuaded by the truth, by facts, by what is real. Let us not be partial to our own cause as Nabal was, to our own greed or our own lust or our own desires, so that we will not listen to others who will counsel us with truth and wisdom. He says in verse 16, they were a wall unto us both by night and day. David of a great spirit looking after those who he had no obligation to. It's just his neighbor with some sheep and some goats. But he feels a sense of obligation. This is the good part in what David did. Evil then was determined against Nabal. 
against our master, the servant says in verse 17, and against all his household. Now this word determined means something has been completed. It's as good as done. We shall all fall if Nabal falls. We're all dead. That's what he's saying. It's as good as completed. For he, that is his master, Nabal, he is such a son of Belial that a man cannot speak to him. He is so worthless. He's such a good for nothing that you can't have a conversation with the man. The word dabar means to reason with someone, like a reasonable person. You can't reason with Nabal. Remember, he's churlish, he's severe, he's self-seeking, he's self-interested, he's covetous. He can't be reasoned with. Why? Because he's too hard. He won't be softened by arguments. You can't talk to him and explain, here are the facts, and he'll listen. Can we be reasoned with? Can people present things to our understanding that will sway us? Or are we like Nabal, churlish? I will not be reasoned with. You cannot present an argument to me. I've already made up my mind. That is the spirit of Nabal. Abigail, though, makes haste as soon as she hears the news. She didn't waste any time. This is part of her understanding. If she waits a day, who's going to be alive in Nabal's house? Nobody. She gets right on it. She makes haste. She discerns the seasons, what courses of actions she needs to take on a moment's notice. Let us be like her. Let us understand the purposes of God. There is a time for every purpose under heaven. We must discern the times. We must be prudent, God tells us. Redeem the time. Why? For the days are evil. Don't let them slip through your fingers. When the son of David threatens judgment and the wrath of the lamb is impending, what must we do? Should we say, well, I'll wait. I'll figure that out in a year in a month, in a day. Make haste as Abigail. Hurry up. Don't waste time. Grab the opportunity. She prepares then what Nabal should have done in verse 18. And she did not tell her husband. This is a rather unusual thing. Wives owe a duty of respect for their husband's property, for their good names, and for their authority. Why did she not tell her husband? The Geneva Bible comments, because she knew his crooked nature, that he would rather die than agree to her enterprise. So if she tells him, what's he going to say? No, nothing to David, nothing. And if she doesn't tell, what's she going to do? Save his skin. He will be dead by morning light if she does nothing. She did not tell her husband because she's saving his life. David, in his part, says in verse 21, Surely in vain have I kept all that this fellow hath in the wilderness. Where was David's hope? You know what vain means? It means something you think shall be full and it's empty. You rely upon it and it's not there. As if a person were walking along a deck and there was a rotten board and they step upon that plank and down they go. It's vain. It doesn't do its job. 
What is David's hope? I do these things to look after your flock, and what's his expectation? I want something in return. Now that's normal, that's natural, you might even say, but does God promise that to him? Did Nabal promise that to him? No. So his expectations were in creatures. It is in vain that I have kept all that this fellow hath in the wilderness. Will not God reward you for doing good to those who are churlish and evil? Will not God bless you for looking after those who will not look after you? He will. It is not in vain. Creatures disappoint us. But now David is in a rage because he has set his hope upon creatures. He hath requited me evil for good. Yes, he has. This is absolutely correct. But the danger of the mindset that David has adopted, the emotional state he finds himself is this. Even if there are real or perceived evils done to us, we do not lose our responsibility to God. Even if there are real evils done to us, we do not lose our moral responsibility to keep God's commandments. Our evil is not justified because we are victims. Oh, I've been wronged, therefore I may do wrong. No. God allows us to be wronged. He does not allow us to do wrong. David calls even on God's name in taking God's name in vain that God would do so unto his enemies if he leaves even one of them by morning light. May all of my enemies prosper if I don't go execute vengeance on every male of Nabal's household. Every male must die for the hurty words of one man. This is not an equal punishment for the crime. But when we see ourselves as entitled, this is where we get ourselves. In a rage, not thinking, not reasoning, not listening to the voice of God in Scripture. And thus far, the exposition of 1 Samuel 25, verses 1 through 22.